Oh, wow. Okay, it's bright. This morning I could see like everyone, but right now I can just see like to the back three rows. So hi. Um, so first of all, a little bit about me. I'm Amelie. I'm a student here. I'm a second year theology student. Um, I know a few people here do theology, so hello, course mates. Um, <laughs> um, so first of all, I have a would you rather question. And you need, you need to think about this one, okay? So if, would you rather give away all of your money or all of your possessions and you cannot sell your possessions for money, okay? Right, hands up for giving away your money. Okay, and possessions? Okay, a little bit less. Now, in the story we're reading today, we're reading from Mark 6, 7 to 13, I think it's pages 31 to 32 in your little gospels, we see that the, the disciples in their mission have nothing. I just got distracted by Ed sprinkling donut dust on someone's head. That's really <laughs> immature. <laughs> no. okay, right, I'll read it out for us all. It should come up maybe on the screens, I don't know. He called the 12 disciples to him. Then he began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits. And here is what he told them to do. Take only a walking stick for your trip. Do not take bread or a bag. Take no money on your belts. Wear sandals. But do not take extra clothes. When you're invited into a house, stay there until you leave town. Some places may not welcome you or listen to you. If they don't, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet. That will be a witness against the people living there. They went out and they preached that people should turn away from their sins. They drove out many demons, they poured olive oil on many sick people and healed them. Just a quick little insight into my thought processes. When I read from verse eight, the whole take only walking stick for your trip, no bread, bag, no money in your belts, but wear sandals, the disciples weren't gonna go out in bare feet. I mean, I don't know if Jesus thought, oh yeah, no, they might need some shoes, but I read that and I laughed to myself. It's just a me thing. Um, so just the basic rundown of what's happening here. So Jesus called the disciples to him. He organizes them into groups. He sends them out with nothing but sandals and a staff. And he gives them a calling to carry out, which is to deliver, to heal the sick, and to drive out demons and expand the kingdom of God. So we see here that God and Jesus have a calling for the disciples. And they don't need stuff for it. They just need themselves. So my first point that I want to just throw out to you all is this. Do we trust God to send us out as we are? Now, if you can't tell by my accent, I'm not from around here. I'm from the northeast of England. I was born in Newcastle. Yeah, come on. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I was born in Newcastle, and then I moved to a place called Teesside, Middlesbrough. Thank you. Yeah, Isaac. Um, now, I came 331 miles down to the southwest to Exeter, for uni here, there's my little, there's my house, and there's where we are. Um, now, from primary school to secondary school, I was picked on for a whole bunch of reasons, one of which was that I have really, really dodgy, narrow, gross feet, and so it meant that when I went shoe shopping for trainers, I could only go to Clark's, and if you're like between 10 and like 13 years old and wearing Clark's trainers in PE, Thank you, thank you. Like, you're going to get bullied, okay? So I was bullied throughout school. I was a bit weird, I still am, it's whatever. Um, but it meant that having friends in an academic setting was something I just didn't have. 
And it meant that I found all my friendships and really my belonging in church. And really, that was where I thrived. I went on many mission trips with my church. I've been to Poland, Thailand. um, And I found that when I was actually sharing my faith and having just fellowship with other people, that was where I really came out sort of into who I was meant to be, and that was where my confidence was. Now, when it came to A-levels, all of, like, my self-esteem issues growing up, they, they were still there, but... You know, they lessened ever so slightly because I'd grown up, but I still couldn't really walk into Tesco on my own because I'd get really, really scared. Or if my mum told me to, like, go 10 metres from the house, I'd burst into tears and I just wasn't having it. But it came to applying for universities, and Exeter was my backup choice. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I know. Why am I here? Um, and then I was applying, and I thought, you know what, I'll put Exeter down. They have a decent theology and religion course. At the time, I was planning on doing philosophy. Sorry. Um, And I thought, you know what, it's whatever. It's 331 miles away. I'm not going to be going there. (laughs) And then my parents would wake up in the middle of the night with just Exeter going round and round and round in the head. And my dad told me, and it was that whole thing of, like, I don't want to believe that that's divine intervention because there's no way I'm going that far away from home, and I don't want to. But then my first choice was Oxford. And I know a lot of you are going to relate to that. Uh, Yeah, rejects. (laughs) Nice. And we all do that thing sort of in Freshers' Week where people say, oh, yeah, so, like, what was your first choice? And you go, oh, Oxford or Cambridge or, you know, Durham. And then you all do the, oh, I'm so glad I didn't get in. That was me. Now, I sent off my applications, and Exeter gave me an offer within two days, which was insane. And I opened it, and I burst out into tears and a little in my mind was like, you shouldn't be happy, this isn't your first choice. But I got in. And God just provided for me. I had no idea what I was going to do when I came here. At first I thought, oh, I haven't gone to Oxford, the world's ending. That just wasn't the case. I was sent out of Exeter as still a very, very, very nervous teenager who couldn't do much on her own. And then I came here, and for the first time in my life, and I can see a lot of you around the room, I have had friendships that I've never had before and in an academic setting, which is brand new to me, which is incredible. But the whole point is that God sent me out, you know, with a car packed full of belongings and still a purpose to come here, but I don't really know what I was doing. But I stepped out in faith and God provided as soon as I got here. However, the disciples, as we see in this passage, they're sent out with practically nothing. In verse seven, it says this, He called the 12 disciples to him. Then he began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits. Now we see that the disciples are being sent out in pairs. And so really there's a sense of companionship and having someone alongside you who can go with you in your calling. That person might be someone you don't really like. You know, we don't know that the disciples got on well. If you watch The Chosen, anyone? Yeah, nice. You know that the portrayal of Matthew and the other disciples and their relationship is just really awkward and they don't really get on. And you might be thinking, there's someone in my life who's another Christian and we're doing this whole faith thing together, but I just don't get it and I don't really get them. I imagine that the disciples probably had that same thinking about each other, but Jesus said, I don't care, you're going. Verse eight says this. Here is what he told them to do. Take only a walking stick for your trip, for your trip, Do not, that would be very different. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Do not take bread or a bag. Take no money in your belts. Wear sandals. Do not take extra clothes. 
Um, now, the thing was, I wasn't nervous to do this until I saw one of my lectures in the audience, and I'm not going to single them out because that's mean. Um, but I did New Testament Greek uh, last year, and so I wanted to look at what the words um, like he told them to do in the original Greek, which is uh, parangelen, and I'm not going to look and ask for approval. I'm just going to trust that that's right. Um, and this means charged or ordered. So you see that Jesus is actually saying to the disciples, go. Jesus has authority here, and he exercises it over the disciples. We cannot ignore God's calling. When Jesus told the disciples to go, they went. They had to go. And in the story, we are only told the criteria by which the disciples are to follow, what they're to take, what they're to keep, what they're to do. We're told nothing of their fears or their questions or their relationships to one another. We know that if someone told us to go to Land's End with nothing but some sandals and a stick, we'd say no, or we'd look for different things to do, or I'll go by the car, oh, mm, is a bus okay? We'd be told to walk. I don't want to do that. And in, in this modern world, we're so just fixated on this idea of materialism and having things. We feel the need to take more. You know, the disciples are told not to even take an extra tunic, and usually they'd be sleeping outside, and that would act as a layer of warmth. But Jesus says, no, people are going to take you in. That's a lot of faith to have. I mean, I don't know if that would still happen in today's society. You know, we go on holiday and we pack four extra pairs of underwear because we think something terrible is going to happen. Or we conveniently forget them, so we go to duty-free to buy everything. The disciples didn't have that option. Matthew 6, 28, says this. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the wildflowers grow. They don't work or make clothing. Vanessa told us in the very first sermon on Matt's gospel that, you know, we assume this to be the first gospel that was written, so we don't know if the disciples heard this sermon that Jesus gives about the flowers before or after they are sent out. But what we do know is that they're not to worry even about their clothing. If God can look after flowers and clothe them, surely he can help us humans. I mean, if God told you to drop everything and go, do you think you could? I think the more as my life's gone on and the more I've seen God move in miraculous ways as I'll, you know, get on to, I think I would want to go. Maybe I couldn't, but I would want to go just to see what God would do. And maybe a few of us feel that way. We think, God, yeah, I really, really want to follow my calling, but can I? You know, do I have the capacity to? So do we trust God to move in miraculous ways? when we step out. For me to be standing here today is a very, very, very large miracle. In the early stages when my mum was pregnant with me, things at first were going all okay. They were really excited to be having a little girl, have an older brother. He was about three at the time. Um, he was already picking out names for me. He gave me the name Millie, which is stuck, even though it's not official. Um, and I, I'm probably a little bit of an annoying sister. I think that's kind of what's given on the tin. Does anyone have like an older brother? You're the punching bag for, like, until you're about 11 years old. Yeah, yeah, we don't admit it. <laughs> so things were running smoothly, all at first. And then at 25 weeks, my mum went in for a check, and I had completely stopped growing. It was chaotic. There was uncertainty. No one really knew what to do. There was no explanation between what had happened. By the doctor's point of view, I had a very, very, very slim chance to live. And my mum was then diagnosed with severe preeclampsia, which only made matters worse. So what do people do when disaster strikes? In the news, you know, 
with everything going on in Ukraine, what happened in Paris all those years ago, the, the human instinct is to pray. And my parents did just that. And I come from a family um, of Christians on my mum's side, and my parents, they gathered their church around them, their friends, their family, and they said, this baby is going to live. And so they prayed in faith that I would be delivered. And so, on February the 5th, 2003, which was today, and I told me to tell everyone it was my birthday, so hi. Um, <laughs> I was delivered via C-section, 10 weeks premature, here I am, two pounds, one ounce, um, born at a minute to eight, I didn't know that. Um, so my parents, you know, they had a disaster, but they decided to step out in faith and pray for a miracle. And this is the sort of stuff the disciples are being told to do, and that's scary. We see in verse 12 and 13 that God provided and delivered miraculously when the disciples went out and went with God. They preached that people should turn away from their sins. We should follow their example. We should try and spread the gospel, whether that's quietly or loudly in the way I actually came into the world, which is a surprise to my parents. Verse 13 says that they drove out many demons, they poured olive oil on many sick people and healed them. We are given authority, and the disciples were given authority immediately over things that were way bigger than them. Maybe some of these were afraid to do, and some of them are, I think, pretty valid fears. I don't think any of us want to go up to... I'm not going to go there, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but the point is, is that often we think that God will not use us in who we are. We see other people pray for other people, and we see miracles and things change. And we pray for ourselves, and we have faith. But sometimes someone will come up to us and go, hey, I'm having this issue, can you pray for it? We go, oh, flipping heck, I can't do that. That's not in my gifting. That's not true. God gave us authority to do these things. And often we focus on it being all about us when we step out. When my parents stepped out, it was, it was God, deliver this child. It wasn't, we have a child, God, can you deliver? When you call on God first, expect answers and expect change. If God wants to expand his kingdom and send out disciples, then he has the authority to, and we have the authority to step into that and see change. And if the disciples hadn't have stepped out, God wouldn't have moved. When we stay in one position, if I'd stayed back home, back in Teesside, I know I wouldn't have left. I'd still be an anxious teenager. I wouldn't want to see people. I'd be terrified doing anything now walking down Sidwell Street at 6 p.m. with my shopping and all my climbing gear sweaty and exhausted is one of my favorite things to do and that wasn't me before I came here we see in the book of Hebrews just the importance of putting faith in action in Hebrews 11:6, 6 it says this without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would approach God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him every time you step out God is pleased whether that be just to pray for someone or to pray in your head in the morning or to physically go out and say to someone random who God's put on your heart, hey, I want to pray for you, God is pleased. And deeds are the outer reflection of, of heart transformation as we see in James 2.26. Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. When you know Jesus Christ, who through relationship with him changes our heart's desire, we want to go out into the world and expand his kingdom. Sometimes there are times where we miss opportunities because we're just so afraid of what will happen when we step out. My flat last year was a huge, huge missed opportunity. I had the opportunity to share my faith with nine other girls. I didn't invite them to a single Christian Union event or to church because I was scared of what they'd think of me. 
My last point is this. Do we trust God to be with us when we aren't welcomed or listened to? Verse 10 and 11 of the Mark passage we're reading says this. When you're invited into a house, stay there until you leave town. Some places may not welcome you or listen to you. If they don't, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet. That will be a witness against the people living there. Jesus doesn't promise the disciples that when they step out, it will be easy. He says to them, expect resistance. If we know that maybe 30 or 40 or 50% of the time we're going to step out, we're going to be met with some brick walls of no, we need to be prepared to look at some of those brick walls and go, no, I have authority. This can look like housemates shutting down faith conversations or even refusing to listen to our stories from church. I've had plenty of those, but still I'll have to step out if I want to see God move. I mean, maybe you can think of a time where stepping out has actually caused you way more fear and wanted to just box in your faith. When I was in my GCSE um, religious studies class, there was this one girl who sat right at the front. I sat in the back corner, which arguably is the worst place to sit. And she just hated me. I don't know why. Every single time a question came up about the, the big things of Christianity, why does suffering exist, who is God, all of that sort of stuff, she'd look right at me, she'd turn around, look right at me and go, do you have the answer? And I'd go, well, no, I don't. I had to fight for my faith in that class because there were people in there who A, didn't know about Christianity, B, didn't care, and C, had the same worldview as everybody else does about Christianity, that we're mean and that we're all of these things that God tells us we're not. Every single time I tried to argue for my faith, I would be met with no. But I could not let that stop me. Because if I'd have let that stop me, it meant the boy next to me who used to ask me questions in private might then stop. And that's expanding the kingdom. And this actually didn't end until... I left school with this one girl. She was in my A-level English class. And at any moment where Christianity could be brought into the conversation, she'd make some little comment or some some jab. And I just have to sit there and take it. Because it's not always our job to actually fight back and say to people, hey, no, 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 you're wrong. Sometimes expanding the kingdom is going out peacefully and quietly. You know, the disciples will have faced persecution, opposition, people telling them that, you know, they're teaching a false gospel. Arguably, they had a lot more to worry about when they were sharing their faith. Nowadays, you know, we live in Britain, people politely say no. That might not have been the case all those many years ago. I want to end with this idea of going and seeing when you step out. I think it's on page 35 in Mark's gospel. It might be 34. We see verse 30 and 31 where the disciples come back to Jesus. And it says this. The apostles gathered around Jesus. They told him all they had done and taught. But many people were coming and going, so they did not even have a chance to eat. Then Jesus said to his apostles, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. You need to get some rest. Just another little Um, look into the way my brain works I saw this whole thing of oh they did not even have a chance to eat and I found that quite hilarious because Jesus earlier on has said haha don't take food what if the disciples like hadn't eaten for a week and then they come back and then they can't eat again I yeah I found that funny but verse 30 tells us that they had done a lot he they told them all they had done and taught when they stepped out in faith 
they had so many stories to tell Jesus and so many we aren't even told of in the New Testament. We don't know explicitly what fears the disciples had about stepping out in their faith. We do know that they returned with stories of God's goodness and the way that he had moved when they had stepped out. Do we expect God to continue moving even after we've stepped out in our faith? And when we go out with other people to do this, do we trust that those who are with are going to push us to keep stepping out? One of the biggest biblical miracles happens after the disciples and expeditions. It's the feeding of the 5,000, which you can read in your time this week. They step out personally, and then God steps out hugely. That will happen in our lives when we step out into the calling we have. What if we went into the world relying on Jesus to move and expecting him to? Will we meet here again next week with stories of the great things that we've seen and heard because we said to God, I want to do this with you? The verse of the day, um, see, this is just funny. I find this really funny, is 2 Timothy 1.7. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Are we going to recognize that we have that spirit of power and that all those brick walls of know that we have in our lives, we can say to them, there's no place for you. You know, maybe you have a flatmate or a family member who every time you bring up faith, they just say, no, no, no. Sometimes it's okay to wipe your feet and leave and try again another time. But when you step out in faith, you see God move. If you'd like to stand, I'd just like to pray for us. Lord, I just pray that this week we have the confidence and the courage to step out in faith and to step out into the plans you have for our lives. And I pray for any of the fear we have of it being flatmates, family members, work colleagues, and what they'll think of our faith when we share it. Lord, I pray that you just give us just the wisdom in how to navigate those conversations and also the courage to step into them knowing that you are with us. I pray that when we return next week, we just hear so many stories of your goodness and your grace and how you have worked in so many people's lives in this building. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Emily, for preaching on your birthday. Can we just thank her? Is that all right? Yeah.